you seek the key. But first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Carl, thanks so much. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Walker, front and center this hour, navigating this narrow market as several members of our investment committee make some bold new moves around the mega caps. We're going to discuss and debate the road ahead for this rally. Joining me for the hour, Stephanie Link, Jim Labenthal, Shannon Sakosha, and Josh Brown. I'll take you to the markets. Good for the Dow, about 60 points. S&P's negative. NASDAQ is too, and we're going to get to that, and we're going to get to these really interesting moves that I know you're going to want to hear about. We do, though, have some breaking headlines now from Cleveland Fed President Loretta Mester, who is speaking now and says the following, labor market strength, strong spending data allow the Fed to hold rates at current levels. She is a voting member, too, so keep that in mind as I read these to you. If the economy evolves as expected, appropriate to cut rates, quote, later this year, would be a mistake to cut rates too soon, but holding for too long could be a risk to the employment mandate. I think the way to sum all this up is we look at the 10-year not really moving much uh, on message, really, for the Cleveland Fed president. So we are, there's the two-year at 442, uh, and the 10-year look to be uh, holding steady at about 410. So that's the latest commentary on what is a busy week for Fed speak. That's following the Fed chair Sunday night, had Bostic yesterday, Mester now, and we will follow all of that. Now to our top story. And that is Josh Brown. He has trimmed NVIDIA by 20%. You sold 20% of your NVIDIA position after the open today. I know you're still bullish, obviously. But just take me through this thought process at a time where the conversation is about this too narrow market. It's very top heavy. And names like NVIDIA, which, what, was off to the races yet again yesterday as one firm bumped the price target up, I think, to 800 bucks. Front and center of this conversation. Yeah. Tell me about this move. I mean, we're not even we're not even really talking about this. But after doubling last year, more than doubling, this stock went up forty percent year to date. And I looked at that upgrade yesterday, and there was absolutely nothing new in there. It was almost just like I I, I don't know how to describe it. It just feels like. There are people who are so bullish, they've run out of superlatives and ways to describe NVIDIA's market position and their, their technology dominance. And they're just like raising price targets. It's almost on a weekly basis. It's become breathless. So uh, this is what I'm describing, by the way, is not science. So let's, let's be very clear. Um, but I'm in the stock for a very long time, uh, Scott, as you're well aware. And, you know, I, I have... Uh, pretty big gains in it. I want to stay in the position, but it keeps growing in relation to all of my other positions because nothing else is going up that fast. This stock is a a 19 bagger just since 2017. Uh, and And I've trimmed it twice since then, and it continues to trade higher. So I'm not calling a top. I still have most of my position. Uh, I have trimmed the stock before. I just felt like the chart went vertical and people have just like lost their minds. I'm as excited about generative AI as anyone else, uh, you know, and, and uh, I'm, I'm bullish. I'm just not that bullish mm-hmm. where I think a stock should go up, where, where I think a stock should go up, uh, you know, 20 percent every month just because the alarm clock went off and the sun came up. I totally understand you. Um, which begs the question on what you said, you know, Steph, hmm. have we lost our collective minds in, in the way that some of these stocks have traded in thinking that there is no limit, that there is no end, that valuation on these names, the mega caps, can just continue to expand. I go to you, you know, after Josh's move because of, of you selling out of Meta completely, you know, selling out of Alphabet completely, and maybe seeing, you know, warning signs, if you will, that some of this has just gotten a little too much. Totally agree. 
It's, I totally 100% agree, which is why I did take profits uh, in Meta and in Alphabet. And by the way, Alphabet, it was like kind of like within a month and a half's time that I bought it and sold it. It was up 26%. So, and I don't think that based on that quarter, it actually deserved to be up that much. So that's why I, I trimmed that one. But Meta, you know, I mean, my goodness, I was up so much. And I, as we talked about last week, um, obviously I missed the 20% move last Friday, but I got 150% in the name and no one was buying this thing. At 95. No one. So maybe Brad Gershner. <laughs> but other than that, uh, it, honestly, it, it just to me seemed like a little overdone. On the flip side, if you want to go to the one I actually just started to, to, to nibble at to again. Hold, I, want to hold, I want to hold that okay. for a moment before we, because it's also in mega cap. Yep. And it's super interesting, but I want to, I want to just get to the bottom of, of this conversation, Shan, where, you know, Seaport, research the latest today to say, quote, the market's too narrow, policy is too tight. City positioning's extended, could amplify a downturn in, in, in turn in stocks. That really echoes what Barron's said the other day about, you know, the foundation is starting to show some cracks that if these stocks have a, you know, pullback of meaningful, of a meaningful nature, you know, the, the floor could be a little dicey uh, at, at that moment. So how, how should we view this? Well, it's difficult, Scott, because I think we're trying to, you know, have our cake and eat it, too, if you will. Everybody wants to talk about the potential for a broadening of the market to be a more foundational setup for continued equity gains. And yet no one really wants the leadership to shift away from these top companies because then that would put pressure on the index at large. So I think what is encouraging, perhaps, about the last couple of weeks is that we are starting to see some dispersion in terms of people looking at the fundamentals for these companies and weighing the potential opportunities opportunity and moving with moving their dollars accordingly. So the the reality is, is that if you look at the, you know, mag seven or the top 10 of performance last year, um, the underlying opportunity in all of those stocks was divergent, but they didn't trade that way. They traded together um, as one block. And so it made it very difficult for investors to either uh, make a take a fundamental view, if you will. Now, what we're asking for is really, well, we still want these stocks to do good enough. But we want there to be a shift in the narrative in terms of the economy is stronger than anticipated, rates are coming down, and there's an opportunity in other stocks to be able to drive bottom line mm -hmm. growth through margin recapture. And that might be a little bit bumpy when we, as we're getting there. Okay. All good points. What if... Jimmy, Jimmy Chalet is back. I hope you had a great time. Terrific. You're in thing. one piece. That's uh, helpful. <laughs> um, what if this market and the price action is nothing more than investors sort of buying time in the mega caps until the Fed actually cuts in that it's too early right now. Somebody made this point to me yesterday on Closing Bell. It's just a little too early right now for the broadening, for the small caps and everything else. The cuts actually need to happen. Conventional wisdom would say, well, the market anticipates this kind of thing well in advance, so you would think that these would move ahead of that. Maybe not this time. Maybe they have to cut for these other things to move. We're buying our time in the mega caps, tried and true, the balance sheets. You get earnings growth, sales growth, quality of earnings, et cetera. Quality of earnings, quality of balance sheet. Now, I listened to the show yesterday, really good show, and one of the things that was talked about was the quality of balance sheets of these mega cap stocks. It's undeniable. But what I want to say to everybody listening is you can find those quality of balance sheets, those quality of cash flows outside of the mega cap tech. And that's why I think the uh, rally is broadening and has been broadening. Now, just a little. Well, it hasn't been broadening. Well, let me do this. Let's let me do this. Let's be clear. It has let, not. Let, let, has me, not. Let, me, let me state a narrative that is factual, okay? Because I was gone last week and I was watching the show watching the markets, but with a little bit of attachment, okay? Monday through Wednesday, market rallied, uh, and it broadened, okay? Thursday, Friday, and yesterday, it narrowed, and it narrowed down to just really NVIDIA, maybe Meta, too. Now, here we are today, and we're getting a broadening again. This is what happens in a regime change. It doesn't happen right on a dime and just go all in one direction. It evolves over time. I think the rally is broadening, Scott. Uh, I'm still as bullish on small caps as I was a month ago. And the reason is, is because fundamentally, when you look at these companies, 
companies outside of mega cap tech. I'm taking nothing away from, you know, Apple, NVIDIA, Meta. I'm not taking anything away from them. But when you look at these cyclicals, like a casino stock like Wynn, like a uh, financial like Citigroup, uh, like, a, like a discretionary like GM, what you're seeing is excellent top line growth, margin improvement, balance sheet cleanup, and cash flows that are coming back to paying down debt and buying back shares. Again, taking nothing away from mega, te- mega cap tech, but I just see that the, there is quality of balance sheet and cash flows outside of mega cap tech at much lower valuations. I, I totally agree with you 100%, but I think the reason that we narrowed last week is because the earnings really were phenomenal. I, I take across nothing away the, from it. I, take, I, I would so not disagree with to, you. It's very, like, and look, and I, you're talking to someone that just That's sold right. two of the names, right? Yeah. right? Some Seth of the, speaks your language here. Okay. I know. Go, I know, but I, just two seconds. Yeah. Can, can I just say that? So complete agreement, and I don't mean to immediately go to the next thing, but where you were with the Fed, I'm sick and tired of talking about the Fed. Aren't we all sick and tired of talking about the Fed? I think that talk is getting long in the tooth. My they problem is you, you, you can't afford to be sick of the Fed because you need the Fed to actually cut so that your positioning, yes, you do, because your positioning works. So let last, me tell you why I disagree. Last year, you were right on direction. I heard you yesterday. Wrong on positioning. I heard you yesterday, and it was beautiful what you said. I know you were talking to me, not out of conceit. Your exact words were, you can be directionally right and tactically wrong. And some people who were on, on the show today, that was yesterday, uh, I'm talking about. I know you were talking about it's not out of conceit. I acknowledge the point, but here's my point. You don't need the Fed to cut. Let me tell you why. And this is Kashkari. I think he's right. The neutral rate is a heck of a lot higher. Think about those stocks I just listed, Win, GM, Citigroup. They have been flying in terms of their fundamental performance with the Fed funds rate at five and a quarter to five and a half percent. There is no indication from GDP, from employment, even from ISM manufacturing, there's no indication that that's going to stop. It'd be great if the Fed cuts. I'm not counting on it. It will happen, but I'm not counting on it. Well, certainly you shouldn't count on it anytime soon if you believe Chair Powell, President Mester, President Bostic, Kashkari and President Kashkari, with all, all respect, of course, um, and anybody else really who's speaking. I mean, this is the message. March ain't happening, at least today. What were you going to say? No, I was just going to say, I, I don't, I, I, I think the other reason that you do need the Fed to cut is that there is still, there are still a lot of anch- uh, investors who are anchored to that higher cash rate. And so you need to see that capital start to move. You need to take advantage. You need to have some, some, they need to be compelled to put more money into the equity market. And that will help with the broadening out because they probably already have positions in, you know, these top 10 stocks to broaden out. You need there to be a rationale or an impetus to get this money brought into the broader market. Okay, so let's do this other move uh, of yours, okay? Sure. Uh, because this is pretty interesting. You bought more Apple. Yeah. In which you have made the case repeatedly, yep, I'm, I'm in Apple, but I'm underweight it. I'm underweight, I'm underweight, I'm underweight yep. Apple. Uh, but, now you, but now you bought more. Now you may still be underweight. Yeah. But why did you buy more? I am still underweight, and this is 7% of my benchmark, right? It's 7% of the S&P 500. So I'm never going to be 7% of anything in, in, in my portfolio when I only own 30 stocks. So to me, that's just prudent. But I do think that, look, I was bracing for Apple to be horrific. I was bracing for guidance to be terrible. And it actually wasn't. Well, they guided down a bit. Yes, but we were expecting that, and I was expecting even worse than what they guided down to. In fact, I thought they guided down 10% in revenues, it's which like was about a line, but, but services, they didn't guide down 11%, and that's kind of an exciting part of the story, which we talk about all the time. But overall, the quarter... Uh, with as many headwinds as this company has. I mean, you had earnings growth of 12%, EBITDA growth of 16%. You had free cash flow growing 26%. They have $173 billion in cash. They have been buying back stock, and they're going to announce another buyback next quarter, which is what they tr- traditionally do. And I suspect it's going to be another $90 billion. That's 3% of the shares outstanding. So then I looked at guidance. So then I looked at where numbers came down. And they didn't come down by much, Scott. And the stock is down 6.5% from its highs. So, no, it's not cheap by any means, but I just didn't want to be so underweight because I do still believe in the long-term story, especially once they fix China and iPhones in China, which is 20% of their iPhone sales, and iPhone sales are 50% of the total revenue. So it's material, but they're going to get that fixed. And again, service is going to continue to grow. And then, you know, Vision Pro and all these other things possibly can be nice tailwinds later on. I'm not really counting that much on that, though. So it's, it's the timing's perfect because we did, CNBC did a, a poll with the Generation Lab Youth and Money. Mm. 
Apple's the favorite stock investment for young people, according to that poll. Uh, names that you'll find on the list, Amazon's big, uh, Tesla, Microsoft, Google, but Apple stands out from the crowd. There you go. Um, just to, to show you here. You want to comment on, on, on this? Look, I, I like the purchase. I'm being a little bit more coy. I'm waiting to see if I can get it at a little bit better price. I'm underweight the name. We all know you that. You had your chances past when there was a 1.6, not a 1.8 on that. When was it 1.6? It was 167, 169, not that long ago. Apple? Was I on vacation? No. Okay. No. There was a time, I don't know, we could oh, pull the chart about, up. You're talking about when that, down, when that downgrade came up and it rocketed up. Yeah, that was chart, like October. The, no, but the, the chart was ugly. Right. So, look. And that I wasn't pull, that long ago. Yeah, but uh, all right, since the, I don't think it's been down in 160 land uh, this year. If I'm wrong, I'm wrong. No, 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 no I, didn't, I didn't say this year, but um, not that long ago. Look, I don't have a problem with these valuations, whatever it is, 30 times forward earnings on Apple, 35 times forward on NVIDIA. Um, these are not like what you saw in 1999, where Cisco was at 100 times, Qualcomm was at 200 times. But I go back to where I was, and I do have a little cash. I'm looking elsewhere. I'm looking at industrials. I'm looking at healthcare, where I think you can find some stocks that are still uh, you know, ready to bounce out of the malaise of last year. I'm just not that compelled to add to these names so, here. So I agree with you. I'm overweight in industrials and yep. financial. Um, and even materials and energy. So mm -hmm. I'm there on the value spectrum without a question. And I do think eventually we will see a broadening out. Mm -hmm. I have been so underweight technology. That's why I'm going to nibble into Apple. And if it does and, fall back down into 160, okay. which is where it was in October, then in October, right? Maybe then maybe I'll buy more. All right. But now, I almost fell on my chair when I saw this next move because this is just I, I mean, with the real Stephanie Link, please stand up. You bought Snowflake. Oh, it's a small position. It's like 50 basis points. It's oh, not Scott in my benchmark. It's not in my benchmark, but I do think cloud data um, warehousing is a really big deal. It's a total addressable market of 90 billion dollars. These guys are a leader. They have size, scale. They have a value proposition. They have a whole new product cycle story that's about to come out. They also out. have a pretty healthy valuation, no? They have a healthy valuation, but you're looking at revenues on a CAGR basis between now and the end of the decade, potentially at 30%. I don't have any stock in my positioning any, in any industrial, in any energy company, in any financial that is going to grow. Compound annual growth rate at 30%. And so to me, this stock actually hasn't done all that much in the past year. It's up 33%, had a decent year last year. However, if I, if I believe, and I do, in this concept, in this particular market and their positioning in this market, then I want to have I, just, I want to have a small position. It reminds me very much of like Fortinet. I could never really justify the valuation of Fortinet, but the total addressable market is a place, and and the concept uh, and their market share is something that I want to be part of. So I will right size it, which mm -hmm. I'm right sizing. I'm right sizing Snowflake. But I, I hear you. But you're making you're making a case, I think, more broadly as to why people have been buying growth over value and willing a willingness to pay up for the amazing growth prospects that you yourself just laid out right that's the whole point yeah no i agree with you on that and that worked last year but i do think you're going to see a broadening scott i do think the economy is going to stay strong it may not stay strong like four percent which is where we're growing right now but even if it's two percent that's good enough for mid single digit earnings i think margins are going to be the story to shannon's point earlier and i think earnings are going to be good across the board within the market and so this year very much like during COVID, i was trying to do that barbell a little bit of growth a little bit of value i kind of want to do that this year too because the opportunities are just too great for the long term in some of the total addressable markets mm -hmm. in growth. I got another move I want to get to in this first uh, segment that we do, Josh, is from you. Um, you sold PayPal. So I think you made it clear in the last couple of weeks you weren't really happy with what happened on that. Uh, I can't remember what investor day or whatever it was, where the stock was down a lot as the CEO was announcing these new initiatives. Now you've sold out of it completely. Why? I don't trust these guys. And I also think that um, the, the market came into this year hot as a pistol. And I'm just looking at breadth start to turn negative. Uh, I, I'm not sure. Jimmy was talking about uh, things broadening out. It's actually the opposite. We're uh, at 62% of the S&P names are above their 50-day. It was 90% coming into the start of the year. 90 is probably too hot. 60 could very quickly go to 40 um, I'm looking at the average RSI in the S&P 500 at 53, mm -hmm. right at the historic average, so not 
you know, anything to be alarmed about, but uh, certainly has room to, to fall from there as well. So I just think overall, it's probably not the best environment to have your 20th favorite stock uh, going into earnings. And if I'm wrong and they have a great report or they get people excited, I'm, I'm willing to miss out. I'm not willing to look at the stock, you know, back in the in the mid 50s where I first bought in uh, and or worse. And honestly, I think it's going to be a couple of quarters after the fiasco two weeks ago before anybody feels really good about the direction here and the new tech initiatives. So I know they're trying hard, no disrespect. This is just not a, not a game I feel like playing today. I mean, you know, you mentioned Jimmy talking about the market broadening out. I mean, it certainly makes the case that it's not. It's going, well, I know, that I, which, I, which I suggested as well. I mean, the evidence suggests it's not. Uh, Jimmy's here, I don't need to speak for him, but he, you know, the idea of Goldilocks right now is going to lead to the broadening out of the market. You sort of scoff at that notion too. No, it could. It's just, it, it's, Listen, I deal with the facts that are in front of me right now. If Jimmy's opinion is that we could see bread free accelerate and, and get back to an environment like we were in November, December, that's great. I hope he's right. I got a lot of, ter- I got a lot of terrible stocks I'm looking at, um, and I would love to see them get into gear, maybe buy some. Uh, that's just not what's happening right now. So that, that's, can, that's can all I'm saying. Address this. And yeah. here's the point I want to make. All right. And this is not going at Josh. All right. Last week, you had a tale of two cities. All right. First half, it was broadening. There's no question about it. Second half, it stunk. But that, as far but as but let me just look at the trend. Though, I mean, who cares just, what a day or two okay, make? No. Okay, fine. It you went from you 90 to, to 60. Josh, Josh, hang on. Hang on. You take a look at the trend from November 1st till today. It has broadened. I mean, from November 1st. If you want no, to take a look at Thursday of last week until Monday of this week, no. But here's the point that I will generally make. And, Josh, James, I, I, hear you, I hear you on opinion versus facts. What's the NASDAQ facts. up from November 1st to today relative to the Russell? Guys, let me – I don't have that right well, we, at my fingertips. We, guys, let's but figure that here's out, the point that, well, I do. Oh, slow down. Here's the point I want to make, okay? This is part opinion and it's part fact. The facts are, if you go to Monday and Wednesday of last week, it was a wild outperformance. I called in. I was so excited about GM and clipped these things. Here's the point that that I'm making. This is what's called, in Mariner's term, confused seas. The seas are changing direction, the currents and winds, every three days. You better choose the course that you're picking and stick with it. Now, if you're on my boat and I'm captain of the ship, I'm telling you, we're going with broadening, we're going with small caps. We're worried that we're going to capsize. That's why people have been Here, going to smooth waters want, in the no, mega caps. No. Here's, here's you want where to go that ha- route. Yeah, okay. So take a look at NVIDIA today. You want to capsize, you go back and forth. You go back and forth from Monday of last week, you're in small caps, to Monday of this week, you're only in NVIDIA. That is a way to get broadsided by a wave. Pick your course. Not everybody has to be on my ship. I get that. And if you disagree with me, that's fine. You can go your own course. The course I am on, which I see happening right now in the fundamentals and in the share prices since November is the market is broadening. You can take a look at these cyclicals. As fabulous as NVIDIA has been, I take nothing away from it. Take a look at Citigroup over the last month, three months. Take a look at GM. Idiosyncratic story. I mean, Look, if well, you look you at what James Fraser, it away, no, it's, what's explaining it away? I mean, are, are, it's it's more idiosyncratic than than other stories. Picking. I can no no no. Listen, Josh, wait a second. To the extent that I'm cherry picking, sure there are some that have not performed as well. But that's the evolution of a regime change. As I said before, it doesn't happen all at once. And I've got a measure, heck of a lot more examples measure, than Brian? those. Look, take a look at AbbVie what metric, in healthcare. What take metric a look at do you use to, to? So Jim, what measure so, what measure do you use to examine the breadth of the market? What I look at is the RSP versus the SPY. That's an easy way to do it. Average stock versus the market cap. So, and, not, and to that point, from the October lows to the beginning, the first week of the year mm. of this year, the equal weighted S&P 500 outperformed the market cap weighted by 200 basis points. So you are spot on. However, since the first week of January, it, has, it absolutely has narrowed again. And I'm not saying that it's not going na- to that it's not going to broaden Look. out. I think it will broaden out, Your but time it, it frame takes, matters. You've got to be patient. And oh, by the way, all the stocks that you pick, great for you that they finally worked out for you. But that's also very important to point out. It's also about stock picking and fundamentals. And you picked some of the really good ones and you got rewarded for them. But the market as a whole is, has not broadened out since the first week of January. Just look at those that, two. And and this in the last is. month, okay, in the last month of Russell, if we're using that as one of our measures of sure. broadening, has done nothing. Okay? NASDAQ's up 7%. 
You, okay, but and I, I hate this term cherry picking because it's accusatory. None of us are cherry, cherry picking, picking, okay? I'm but telling you, the time frame matters. Telling you, fine. Go back the to November first. Five percent. Go back to November first and take a look. All at right, the small, the, caps. The small caps are still I underperforming, and most of that action was done from November to mid-December. Okay, then things started to roll over again as the in calendar January. turned. In Jan, I listen. I'm not disagreeing with the facts that January was a narrow rally. I'm not disagreeing. With well, you just what tried I to make know. the case last week that because for three days it it broadened out that that the market's broad. You said it. What I no the point that I have been making and I've said it twice on this show is this is what a turning point looks like. It's not all at once. It isn't. It goes back and forth. It churns in a confused sea, and you better know which direction you're Shane, going. Real quick, I'm sorry. Go Can ahead. Can we just go back to what Stephanie said? The reason that this has happened is because of earnings and results, and what we have entered yeah. into is a period where those that have done well have continued to do well, and the laggard sectors that people want to buy because they're cheaper and didn't participate are not putting up the results. And that is why yes, we are. have seen the differentiation. Yes, they are. Not as a whole. Not the way the technology uh, and comm services have. Okay. Okay. All right, let's take a break. Up next, our chart of the day. Got a big pop today for the K-Web. It's the China ETF. It was Josh's com contrarian play for 2024, which means we're going to debate that move next, plus the trade on some of the top movers in today's market, including Vertex and GE Healthcare and NXPI. Woof, we're back in two minutes. Are you following the Halftime Report podcast? What are you waiting for? Look for us in your favorite podcasting app. Follow the Halftime Podcast now. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. We're back with our chart of the day, and it is the K-Web. It is up big today. Let me take a look. Near 6%. It was Josh's contrarian play, if you recall, for 2024. Uh, Alibaba, biggest holding there, followed by Tencent and some of the others. But, Josh, what's your take here? So I'm not a China expert. I'm, I'm a Chinese food expert, but I don't think that counts in this case. Um, I, rely on, uh, I rely on press reports like everyone else to try to understand what's going on in China. But it's pretty clear um, that Beijing has seen enough of the stock market slide, and they want to both uh, intervene or hint to others that they should intervene to put a stop to it. Uh, this is not something I predicted, but something I learned from Jim Grant a long time ago is that good things have a habit of happening to cheap assets. And these stocks were the cheapest that they've ever been in many cases. Now, with good reason, right? Not cheap for, for no reason. Uh, but here are some of the headlines that I think people should be aware of. Hujin Central Investment. I don't know him personally. That's an investment house that's involved with state-related entities said they, they issued a statement. They're going to be adding to their holdings of Chinese stocks and ETFs over the coming months. President Xi took a meeting with the Securities Regulatory Commission. That's the, uh, the CSRC in China. He asked for an update on market stabilization and structural support for capital markets. You don't have to speak Mandarin to understand. That means, hey, enough. Get the prices higher. We're, we're, we're on the, the verge of civil unrest over here. We can't have that in my, in my 45th term. So that's what's going on in China. It's, it's nothing out of the ordinary. We see this every couple of years. And that's why I think this rebound is underway. All right, let's talk about some other stocks that are moving. Vertex uh, is one of them. It did beat on the top and the bottom line. Shares were down uh, at print. Let's take a look at where we are now for uh, one of Jimmy's stocks. There it is. So it's down about 3%. What about this, Jim? Um, 
I, just a little profit taking here. Uh, this this report was fabulous. Now I don't really care about Q4 reports uh, for this company because this company has a lot of new drugs coming. First off, cystic fibrosis is its main uh, market, but they're moving into pain medication. They've got a phase three trial going on for a pain medication that's not addictive, but looks like it is as effective as opioids. So that's great. Sickle cell anemia. The future is very bright for this company. Today is just a little profit taking after. I think it's up about 40% in a year. Okay. GE Healthcare. Big yeah. winner today, Steph. Yeah. They beat finally. on both the top and the bottom. Yeah. Finally. <laughs> but uh, organic growth with 5% was good, but it was really all about the margins. They beat on margins. They were up 60%, uh, 60 basis points year over year. And they guided for higher margins going forward. And that's really the operating leverage that we, we, that we talk about. Better top line, better margins. You get better earnings. NXP. Uh, shares were up modestly. Let's see where they're trading now. They're stronger than expected results. Revenue barely ahead of consensus. Challenging semiconductor market environment they talked about. What do we do here? So stocks um, hanging on a little bit. Yeah, look, a very attractive valuation, very well-run company. Why do I say that? Because management works very hard with its customers to manage inventory. What they don't want to do is find that their customers have a glut of inventory and then pricing goes down. Uh, what they're calling for is that the first half of this year, particularly in automotive, is going to be tepid. That's their exact, exact words. Second half should show strong growth. I agree with that. Everybody knows, I think, my position on automotive is that we need a lot of new cars. They're going to be producing the chips that go into those new cars, 60% of their business. They're also seeing signs of strength in mobile. I mean, we've had some reports that, that indicate that as well, as well as industrial and internet of things. Very attractively priced. I think you just stick with this. Let it grow. All right, let's get the headlines now with Bertha Coombs. Hey, Bertha. Hey, Scott. Former United Nations Ambassador Nikki Haley has requested secret service protection due to rising threats against her. She's the only major candidate left running against former President Trump for the Republican nomination. At a campaign stop in her home state of South Carolina, Haley spoke about her need for more security, saying it was part of campaigning for president. Honda is recalling 750,000 vehicles for airbag defects that could deploy unintentionally during a crash. A weight sensor in the front passenger seat can crack, failing to keep the airbag deflated. The recall affects various Honda models from 2020 to 2022. No injuries or deaths have been reported. And the Grateful Dead have broken the record for the most top 40 albums to chart on the Billboard 200 with the debut of an archival release of Dave's Picks Volume 49 from 1985. This is the group's 59th entry on the chart, topping Elvis Presley and Frank Sinatra, who each have 58. The group disbanded in 1995 with the death of Jerry Garcia. They're still moving along. Bertha is still my least favorite of their songs, though. <laughs> All right, Bertha, thank you. Bertha Coombs. Up next, the calls of the day, triple play. We have trades on Bristol-Myers, Broadcom, and McDonald's. But first, though, a quick message as CNBC celebrates Black Heritage. I'm proud of Black Heritage because of the resilience, ingenuity, and adaptability that exist. And I'm encouraged by the collective action of the DEI pledge and organizations and people that are attempting to make change permanent. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one. Visit ODFL.com to learn more. All right, welcome back. We want to just touch on New York Community Bank Corp. Uh, stock's broken five bucks, as you see here, uh, down another 15% today. Josh, so I wanted to just touch on this because I, you mentioned it, I guess, last week that you had bought it for a trade. Yeah. Are you still in yeah. it? What's, what's the story? It, I'm in it five and change. Yeah, I'm still in it. I have a small amount. Uh, yeah. They got a, they got a, a ratings downgrade, uh, which, frankly, I'm, I'm surprised it took this long. Uh, this stock is just a, a bloodbath, uh, but I'm waiting to see what happens because 
at the heart of why it's a bloodbath, just in my personal opinion, is that they are trying to get ahead of the issues in commercial real estate, and they're reserving for larger amounts than they had been prior. And of course, that's not positive short term, but I think they need to. I think a lot of banks need to. And uh, that's kind of the way I'm thinking about it. I could change my mind at any time, but I'm, I'm still in it right now. Okay. We'll see what happens. No, I appreciate the update. Just to refresh people's memory, right? Last week, dividend cut, they had these surprise losses, build big reserves. There was some reporting today uh, that all of that was really at the behest of regulators uh, from the OCC, the Office of the Controller of the Currency. So we'll just follow it. And I wanted an update uh, for all of our, our viewers today. All right. Uh, Bristol Myers, we'll do calls of the day now. Hmm. Bristol downgraded to neutral. Uh, that's at Redburn. Price target goes to 54. The stock's been a, a loser. Or down a lot. New 52-week low today. Steph, you own it. I don't know why you would downgrade it down 30% in the past year. Trading at seven times earnings with a 4.8% dividend yield and $15 billion in free cash flow. They've made $18 billion worth of M&A over the last 12 months to replenish the pipeline that's going off patent. It's going to take time. I bought this in December, Scott, so I have not been riding this thing all the way down. I, got I you. bought it because I actually thought it was way overdone. Where would you buy it around? Refresh well, your memory. It was down 36% at the time. Okay. For the year. Okay. And so it's up. I'm up a little bit, but okay. this is a long-term. This is a long-term hold for. Well, you're me. staying with it. Absolutely. A long-term hold. No question. Okay. What about Broadcom, which was resumed overweight today at J.P. Morgan, price target to fifteen hundred and fifty dollars. Nice upside from here. Yeah. I mean, look. I think this is consensus. The stock's up 106 percent in the past year, as you mentioned, but yet the valuation is still okay at 20. Six times forward estimates, 14 times EBITDA. I like it because it's very diversified in terms of the revenue mix. It's not just AI, although that's going to be 25% of their business starting next year. But it's cloud, it's data center, it's networking, it's enterprise. And I like the VMware acquisition very much. But, you know, I don't think you want to go out and buy it here today. Wait for a pullback because it's had a heck of a run. But am I going to wake up one day and look at a note that says Steph took profits or trimmed some of Broadcom? Because it, it feels like it's, you know, on trend. Possibly. I mean, but I but I did buy some recently in the beginning of January because I really I do like it long term. I really like this VMware acquisition, recurring revenue margins, uh, accretion, all of that. So we'll see. What about McDonald's downgraded today to neutral from buy uh, stocks not traded well lately, uh, to say the least. It's down four and a half percent year to date. Yeah, but it was up 21 percent from its October low. So expectations were high. I thought the quarter was fine yesterday. Uh, it's just an expensive stock at 23 times forward estimates. You but told me, you though, it just if that was just, we talked about it going yep. into the print. You, and I questioned whether it should have that premium multiple. And you said it did. It should. It should. And, and if you look through the quarter, Middle East. That was a real problem for them. They did 3.4% in global comps. That's great. They did 4.3% U.S. comp. That's great. International 4.4%. That's also great. So I think the profitability story remains. I think the traffic is actually doing fine. They're not losing market share, by the way, at all. In fact, they're gaining market share. Their results are better than pre-COVID. Mm -hmm. So I just think it got a little ahead of itself. So if, it's, if it pulls back another 5%, Scott, I'm going to add to it. Okay. Coming up, uh, Mike Santoli is going to join us with his Midday Word. Plus, we do have trades on Snap, on Uber, on Disney, because they all report this week. Fortnite 2, CVS on the list. We're back after this. Welcome back. Our senior markets commentator, Mike Santoli, is here at the desk for his Midday Word. What's on your mind today as you watch this market? You know, uh, obviously listening to the discussion earlier in terms of has it been too narrow? Has this market actually had a broadening move? Um, and it is very much of the moment because I feel like today in particular, there was a lot of work about very, very rare days when the S&P was up 1% in a day and really awful breath and all the other stuff. And it feels to me like multiple things can be true at once. A huge chunk of the upside of the S&P 500 market cap has been a narrower and narrower number of stocks in terms of dollar value. But there has been a broadening move in the last three months. And if those stocks weren't performing amazingly well, 
and the S&P 500 did not ramp to a record. Would we be upset if the overall index acted like the equal weight, which is up 18% from the low in October, only not even 1% off its high? Healthcare charts look amazing. Industrials, very strong. So in other words, it's not that nothing else is working. It's not that six stocks are throwing a shutout against the rest of the market. It's that when you count it up by dollar value, it means that only those stocks matter on a given day. And today you're seeing an effort to spill the other direction. I do think there's a risk of getting unstable and being erratic and having momentum upon momentum. Mm -hmm. And NVIDIA trades eight times the dollar volume on a given day as Apple. And there's no reason that has to be the case. And it was the case with Tesla for a long time before the fever broke. I think to continue the analogy, I think one of the concerns is that if you you want to ride an arm that's lower down in the rotation, yes, it can can hopefully hold up and and show some staying power for a longer period of time. The jury's still out on right. those stocks. And I think that's part of the debate that we're having. At right. This, at and this I time. also think that the jury is still out on stocks that are a million percent above their 200-day moving average. And people think they can never go down. Well, Josh, right? you so, saw Josh trim 20% yeah, off exactly. NVIDIA. So that's the other part of it, where you, you have to sort of you know, decide on which risk you're going to take. Are they going to continue to be you know, the neglected stepchildren of the market or are they are and, and are the other ones going to remain uh the few favorites yeah, yeah. no we love the debate uh, appreciate you playing yeah. it uh, it's mike santoli we'll see of course uh, on the closing bell for his last word up next we'll get the setup on more key earnings this week including snap and fortnet and uber and many more we're back after this show you shares of New York Community Bank once again, because as you see on the left side of your screen here, the Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen was asked about it in front of the House Financial Services Committee just moments ago, in which she said, and I'm quoting here, we're in touch with supervisors monitoring current banking stresses carefully. I don't want to comment on the situation of an individual bank, but commercial real estate is an area that we have long been aware could create financial stability risks or losses in the banking system. It's something that requires careful supervision. So we're going to keep watching that. Um, She was asked about broader losses in commercial real estate in that area, which has been on top of mind for many, in which the Treasury Secretary said, quote, I'm concerned. We're going to continue to monitor that. We'll watch those shares as Janet Yellen continues to make those comments. That's on the Hill in front of, as I said, the House Financial Services Committee. We do have a setup now on some key earnings that are coming your way uh, this week. Snap today after the bell. So big layoffs. Josh, you own the stock. Yeah, it's really not big layoffs. It the the announcement was was designed to make it seem like it was big, big layoffs, but it's 500 people. Um, but directionally, I guess that's what uh, Wall Street kind of wants to see. It was weird that they did it yesterday, uh, a day before the earnings. That tells me, uh, and uh, this is this is like just pure speculation. That tells me it's not going to be a, an amazing quarter. Like they felt like they needed to have this thing already out there so they could say it again on the call that they're streamlining and blah, blah, blah. So we'll see. The good thing with Snap is the expectations are really low. Revenue growth of 2 to 6%. Like mm-hmm. we're, we're not talking about meta-sized expectations here. Um, and that's good because this will never be meta. Uh, so the stock is up 100% from the last time they reported earnings. And we'll see if they could justify that rally. I think um, the ad market recovery that we heard about from right. Amazon, from Alphabet, and Meta, those are a good sign. We'll see if Snap was able to capitalize. Guys, I want to punt on this real quick. Can we just look at the KRE? I just want to get into this a little bit deeper just because I, I do have a little more in front of me on what the Treasury Secretary is saying You know, just moments ago here about the issue of commercial real estate concerns in which I, she was responding to a question from a Missouri Democrat uh, in which she says, quote, I'm concerned. I believe it's manageable, although there may be some institutions that are quite stressed by this problem. I just want to kick this around with all of you for a moment, because some of you at times have made plays in some of these beaten down regional banks. Um, I'm not looking at anybody in particular or any particular name, but the idea that these are attractive here, that, um, you know, obviously 
Jay Powell was asked, the Fed chair was asked about it during the 60 Minutes interview on Sunday evening in which, you know, he, he said sort of similar things. Yes, it's, it's certainly on our radar, but doesn't really think it's going to mushroom into this, you know, large crisis-like problem. Do you want to address this? Sure. You've looked at these uh, yeah. stocks. No, I mean, I've never owned a regional bank uh, or a community bank. And it's mainly because since 2008, the government made the big six the big six. And they're too big to fail. And they continue to take market share. And they continue to climb into these companies when there is a disaster and buy the assets. Uh, this particular situation has everything to do with two positions that they bought last year from Silicon Valley Bank, and that's the entire reason they're taking the charge-offs. Um, that doesn't make it right or wrong, it's just it is what it is. They can't handle it, and I just think that you're going to have more of these companies continue to lose market share, and so if you're going to play in this space, you own the big six, you pick which one you like. I happen to like Bank of America, I happen to like Morgan Stanley, I'm also going to probably buy some more Schwab because that stock is down a lot so far this year, and I think it's unjustified, but the big six continue to get bigger. It's, it's clear. I mean, even the Fed chair himself said it on Sunday night, Jim, about the idea that there's going to have to be some kind of consolidation at some level uh, as a result of, of these issues that are going to dramatically impact more firms, you know, some firms more than, than others. You have, you know, you've owned some of these time to time. Not, not really. I, once I did that trade coming out of the Silicon Valley Bank uh, disaster on the KRE because I agree with everything Stephanie just said. I mean, competitively, size matters so much, whether it's cost of funding, whether it's technology applications. I mean, J.P. Morgan is just going to kick the heck out of all of these these smaller banks and reap the rewards when problems arise. But I think the bigger question here is I'm thinking of Ed Yardeni, who has said we don't have to have a recession unless you get a banking crisis. So so are, is something like, is, is mm -hmm. one of these regional banks going to have a problem? Like, I'm sorry, Shannon, happened in March? It's likely that yes. But however, will it be systemic? Is it going to no. crater Goldman Sachs, Morgan Stanley, J.P. Morgan Citigroup? I really our, don't think our, so. Our news desk, Brad Quick, thank you for sending me this. It's what the chair said, you know, directly on, on Sunday night. I do think it's a manageable problem, uh, said Fed Chair Jay Powell. I think we're doing a lot to manage it, manage it. Excuse me. There will certainly, there will be some banks that have to be closed or merged out of out of existence because of this. That'll be smaller banks, I suspect, for the most part. Hey, Scott, guess how many banks have failed since 2009? 513. Guess how many banks we have? 4,000. So understand, you are but going S, to but, get but sure, closures but SVB, and SVB, if I remember top of my head, was the second largest bank failure ever. Sure. So these are not insignificant, right. even though there have been a large number, to your point, of failures. But it didn't cripple the system. And well, that's, and that's because well, the big six have to have all that excess capital that all the CEOs there, complain there about. There was a moment, Shannon, I it know this is- It didn't cripple the system because uh, we suspended the limits of FDIC right. insurance. Well, and, and be, well the, 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 Fed the, came to the, the Fed came to the rescue. Let's be honest. There were, there were some pretty big tremors. It didn't, it didn't emerge into a full-blown earthquake, but there were some we the pretty off. good tremors. As I said, look, your, your, your former- employer, SVB, uh, in the wealth management divi division, albeit. Um, so I know this hits close to home when we talk about these types of issues. How are you thinking about this? No, I think I think the, the point here is what you want to think about is the big banks can digest loan loss provisions to offset the potential losses in their commercial real estate book. And the, the smaller regional banks just don't have the earnings power to be able to do that on a consistent basis. That, to me, from an investment perspective, is what the concern is when you're thinking about weighing being in a bigger bank versus a regional bank. Josh? Yeah. I mean, where, where does this rise on, on your sort of radar of, of I agree concern? With what, I, agree with what everyone, I agree with what everyone says. My only core holding in the banking sector is and has been uh, J.P. Morgan, which I don't trade. And not only do I hold it, the dividends get reinvested and I continue to buy more. I wouldn't do that with really any other uh, bank. And I completely agree with Stephanie's point. This is like part of the sector. Not only do they go away, these banks, but they often uh, merge and, and get bought out. And there are thousands of them because a lot of these things are tiny and they're almost like family businesses. They're like diners or barbershops. And mm -hmm. eventually the founder or the founder's grandson turns 75, looks around and says, this is my exit. I, I got to do this because I don't think this business can survive another generation. So 
it's important not to get distracted by that. If you own the XLF, if you if you if you own the financial sector on the whole, you don't really have exposure to the small banks like New York Community or SVB. You sure. have exposure to Citi, J.P. Morgan, Wells Fargo, B of A, and that's really what you want over the long term. But th this just goes to the heart of the conversation we began this entire show on, and that's the Mester commentary of, and the Fed chair himself was asked about it too, and it's top of mind for everybody. The risks of waiting too long and keeping policy too tight for too long, and the run-on effects, the unintended consequences of doing that if it causes undue stress, in particular to more of these regional banks and the commercial banking issue. It just comes back to the entire conversation about the market itself. When does the Fed cut, yep. and what happens if they wait too long? Well, let me tell you now what I'm worried about, is I do not want to see all of a sudden, the Fed, a week, two weeks from now, start putting March back into play because that'll mean they're worried. I do not want to see that. All right, so let me do this. Uh, three o'clock, obviously, uh, closing bell. We'll, we'll get you ahead of, of some of the earnings that are coming up. Greg Branch on the show today. You know he's been super bearish. We're going to find out if he's changed his tune. Anastasia Amoroso is joining me as well. So we'll kick the markets around. We'll keep our eyes on this. We'll follow what uh, Treasury Secretary Yellen and any other you know, Fed-related or Treasury-related officials say throughout the remainder of the afternoon. Let's do final trades. What do you got quick, Josh? Uh, Disney breaking out into the earnings tomorrow. Take a look. Okay. Jim Stewart, by the way, is going to join us on Closing Bell also. What's the name? Uh, commodities, GSG, on China News. I was going to do Disney. Okay, <laughs> that's fine. It can be on your mind, too. Uh, Steph, what do you got? I'll do Apple. All right. That, that, uh, buying more. All right. I'll see everybody on Closing Bell. The exchange begins now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. All opinions expressed by the Halftime Report participants are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by them on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed on this podcast as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of an opinion. Such opinions are based upon information the Halftime Report participants consider reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Halftime Report Disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash Halftime Report Disclaimer. From a flat tire in the city to a dead battery on a distant drive, AAA is partnering with T-Mobile for Business to accelerate response times and get more drivers back on the road fast. Our nationwide connectivity powers location telematics, so AAA's fleet can find stranded drivers quickly while being fully equipped with the in-vehicle tools to have answers when they get there. This is elevating the member experience. This is AAA with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. 